This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading destination for audiobooks and other digital formats. Audible has hundreds of titles covering Renaissance history and literature. With a free trial, you can access several translations of Petrarch's Canzonari, his collection of poems regarded as one of the finest works of Western literature. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash I take history to sign up today. By getting a free trial, you would also be supporting this podcast. I take history with my coffee podcast, episode 19, Rinascita. I dealt especially upon antiquity, for our own age has always repelled me, so that, had it not been for the love of those dear to me, I should have preferred to have been born in any other period than our own. In order to forget my own time, I have constantly striven to place myself in spirit in other ages, and consequently I delighted in history. Petrarch, Letter to Posterity, 1370. Welcome back to the I Take History with My Coffee podcast, and thank you for continuing our exploration of the early modern period. Platonic wisdom, Christian dogma, Ciceronian eloquence. This is how the poet Petrarch summed up his world view. Classical learning philosophy, and eloquence formed the base of his life's work. He saw himself as living in a middle, dark age between the classical world that bestowed civilization upon humanity and a more enlightened future. Petrarch saw the need to return to classical standards he saw this revival of classical learning as a renaissance, a renaissance, a rebirth. Francesco Petrarca was born July 20th, 1304, in Arezzo, in Tuscany. His father, Er Petrarco dell'Incisia, had been a notary in Florence, like his father and grandfather. Throughout the 13th century, Florence suffered from internal strife caused by the conflict between the Ghibellines and the Goelphs. Italian politics was a complicated affair at the time, but in general, Ghibellines supported government under the imperial authority of the Holy Roman Emperor. Goelphs on the other hand, supported civic independence and aligned themselves with the papacy. By the end of the 13th century, 
the Guelphs in Florence had established sole power in the government and drove out any remaining Ghibelline supporters. For more background of this, you can check out my blog post, The Florentine Feud, at itakehistory.com. But when the Guelphs took control of Florence, they soon fell into infighting among themselves. A split developed between moderates who wished to recognize and maintain the privileges of the nobility, and the radicals who wanted to establish a more republican government around the merchant class. The moderates were known as white Guelphs, and the radicals were known as Black Goelfs. In 1302, the Black Goelfs, with French backing, instigated a reign of terror against the Whites. Many were swept up, falsely accused, and then exiled. The poet Dante was among those deported. Petrarch's father also was exiled after being accused of falsifying legal documents. In 1312, Petrarch's father found employment with the Papal Curia, the administrative arm of the papacy, in Avignon. The first three quarters of the 14th century has become known as the Babylonian Captivity. The Papal See was transferred to Avignon under the control of the French monarchy. As a result, Avignon became a center of diplomacy and learning. The papal library contained an extensive collection of classical texts, and the papal curia attracted scholars and legal professionals from all over Europe. Petrarch's early education was the standard for the time. He was introduced to grammar and rhetoric, but even at this young age, he was captivated by such classical authors as Virgil, Horace, and Cicero. At 12, he was sent to the University of Montpelier to study law per his father's wish. When his mother died in 1319, he transferred to the University of Bologna to continue his studies. Yet the law did not interest Petrarch. He purchased a copy of St. Augustine's City of God and pursued philosophy and theology. Upon his father's death, he dropped out of school, returned to Avignon, and began a literary career. Like many of his contemporaries, he relied upon patronage for his livelihood and continually moved throughout his lifetime. It was in Avignon that Petrarch met La de Noves, at least according to him. This Laura is supposedly the subject of his love poems, collected together in the Canzari. Scholars have debated whether Laura of the poems actually existed. The poems are considered 
one of the great works of Italian literature. His work, Africa, about the great Roman general Scipio and the Punic Wars, won him accolades from the University of Paris and the Roman Senate. He was crowned Poet Laureate in Rome on Easter, April 8, 1341. In his acceptance speech, Petrarch advocated for the revival of classical wisdom and poetry. From this, he developed the idea of the laurel wreath as the symbol of literary immortality. Petrarch would lose many acquaintances, including his beloved Laura, to the plague that devastated Europe. In the 1350s, he visited Florence, where he met Giovanni Boccaccio, the author of the Decameron, and then traveled to Rome, Milan, Padua, and Venice. He wrote his last will and testament in Padua in August of 1370. Four years later, in 1374, Petrarch died in Padua. Petrarch is regarded as the father of humanism, a moniker that he earned at least as much from his own self-promotion as from any particular achievement. He was not the first to express what would be considered humanist thought. There had been others before him, such as the literary circle of Padua led by Lovato Lovati in the later decades of the 12th century. But Petrarch established himself as the most significant influencer. He believed he was the first to articulate a clear idea of the possibilities of bringing the spirit of Roman civilization back to life. He wedded his love of ancient literature with repudiating his contemporary medieval culture. Historians at different times have sought to define precisely what humanism is. The meaning has changed over time. Humanism is seen as a secular, rational philosophy in our modern sense. As most historians use it, the term humanist was coined in the 19th century to indicate a devotion to classical literature and the human ideals that could be derived from them. And during the Renaissance, no one referred to themselves as humanists. The Italians called themselves humanistas, teachers of the humanities. Like scholasticism, humanism was not a philosophy or a unified ideology, but it began more as an approach to learning. Humanism is derived from the Latin humanitas, the classical liberal arts education. The course of study was what we regard as the humanities, grammar, rhetoric, poetry, history, and moral philosophy. Renaissance humanism would not be Catholic or Protestant, Christian or pagan, 
scientific, or anti-scientific. However, what all humanists would have in common, according to historian Paul Cresteller, was, quote, a scholarly, literary, and educational ideal based on the study of classical antiquity, end quote. Another influence was the tradition of the Ars Dictaminus, the art of letter writing. This had grown from the classical art of public speaking. In 12th century Italy, the dictatores, those skilled in letter writing, sold their services to civil and clerical patrons. They drew upon ancient models to achieve eloquence in writing letters, speeches, and other documents. They held positions as teachers, secretaries, or chancellors to rulers. As an employee of the Papal Curia, it is more than likely that Petrarch's father would have been part of this culture, and Petrarch, at a young age, would have been exposed to it. Petrarch did believe that the revival of antiquity began with letters, that is, language and literature. This meant the classical forms as well as styles. In 1345, Petrarch discovered in Verona a manuscript containing letters from the great orator of the late Roman Republic, Cicero. Petrarch always admired Cicero and held him up as a model for eloquence and the power of language. In these newfound letters, he began to see Cicero as a moral philosopher. The letters spurred Petrarch to become a letter writer, and he corresponded with his contemporaries and the ancients, including Cicero and Homer. Thus, Petrarch initiated an epistolary genre that would be one of the characteristics of Renaissance humanists. For Petrarch, this revival of classical learning needed three things. First, knowledge had to be useful. Second, knowledge had to be combined with willingness to use it. Third, knowledge had to be pursued within a community of peers. Knowledge and will are joined within a community of equals. This then sets up Petrarch's criticisms of the scholastics. Petrarch had no objection to debate or logic as a tool, but his criticism lay with how scholastics employed this method. He saw them as spending their time with useless knowledge and solving problems without a purpose. Knowledge was an end to a means, not the end in itself. Being good, that is, virtuous, was more important than being learned. 
in Petrarch's view, the scholastics did not inspire their students to improve. Cicero, Seneca, and Horace imbued their readers with virtue. These were the moral philosophers. The goal of learning was to make oneself better, not just to know what was better. But with knowledge, there needed to be desire. And Petrarch saw the scholastic as diminishing that desire. And they diminished that desire by the very methods they employed. Scholastics sought to argue. The disputations and debates did not foster a community that encouraged learning. They derive the highest pleasure from contention, and their aim is not to find the truth, but to quarrel, Petrarch would say. And so Petrarch substitutes the disputation with a community of friends treated as equals. Therefore, scholasticism was focused on the trivial, was contentious, and operated in an environment predisposed to conflict. And then there was the academic devotion to Aristotle. Petrarch, based more on personal preference than anything systematic, admired Plato over Aristotle. He appreciated Aristotle, but he saw the limits of Aristotle as a human and could not understand the blind acceptance the scholastics had of him. The greater men praise Plato, Petrarch would write, Aristotle by the bigger proud. Petrarch admired Cicero as the highest standard of moral philosophy. But he admired St. Augustine equally as the model of Christian self-examination. As forward-thinking as Petrarch was, he remained grounded in his medieval world. He displays the tension between Christianity and classical culture and their differing views of virtue. The active life versus the contemplative life. For the Romans, part of virtue was giving one's life to public service. This stood in contrast to the Christian monastic withdrawal from the corruption of society. This inner battle between the active life and the contemplative life would be a concern of future humanists. But Petrarch erected the twin pillars virtue or piety within the Christian tradition, on the one hand, on the other, learning, wisdom, and eloquence in the classical tradition. Faith was his philosophy, but he saw Roman literature and eloquence as leading humanity toward achieving greater heights. The goal was moral improvement, achieved by the wise application of classical ideals.
not the cold logic and intellectualism of scholasticism. Perhaps Petrarch wasn't the father of humanism, as his work as a scholar depended on the efforts of earlier generations. But he provided the impulse through the breadth of his learning, his sense of historical distance between his age and antiquity, and that he both practiced and preached the imitation of the classics. His influence would reach beyond Italy in the 14th and 15th centuries. Grammar and rhetoric would be elevated above logic as forms of expression. There would be an emphasis on the value of truth in language. From this, Renaissance humanism develops. At its basic, it is the study of classical literature and art with an interest in the eloquent use of language, particularly Latin. There is a belief in the power of education to promote private and civic virtue. There is a rejection of scholasticism, the encouragement of placing humanity at the center rather than religion, and an emphasis on the individual. And it is the belief that poets, writers, and artists will lead humanity toward a better way of living, and not the academics in the halls of the universities. In one of his sonnets, Petrarch laments, Living, I despise what melancholy fate has brought us wretches in these evil years. Long before my birth, time smiled and may again, for once there was, and yet may be, more joyful days. But in this middle age times, dregs sweep around us, and we bend beneath a heavy load of vice. Genius, virtue, glory now have gone, leaving chance and sloth to rule. Shameful vision of this, we must awake or die. Our popular notions of the medieval period as a dark age, filled with superstition and void of learning, and the Renaissance as a rebirth of culture and learning, are filtered through Petrarch and those who followed, and then refracted through our modern biases. As we have seen, the Middle Ages saw a vibrant intellectual culture develop, but humanism would form a counterweight to that robust academic tradition. By the end of the 14th century, humanism would spread across Europe and dominate the intellectual and cultural climate of the Renascita. Humanism will continue to play a vital role in our exploration of the foundations of early modern Europe. But why Italy? In the next episode 
we will look at Italy's economic, social, and political conditions that fostered this classical revival compared to the rest of Europe. And in doing so, we will focus on what would become the intellectual and cultural center of the Renaissance, Florence, Italy. As always, maps and other supporting resources for all episodes are listed in the episode description. In the meantime, for more historical content, please visit the I Take History With My Coffee blog at itakehistory.com and also consider liking the I Take History With My Coffee Facebook page. Feedback and comments are welcome at itakehistory at gmail.com or you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. You can also help support this podcast by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash itakehistory. If you know anyone else who would enjoy this podcast, please let them know. And thanks for listening.